An Amazon worker in London dies after being forced outside in frigid temperatures. Black and Middle Eastern Ottawans are overrepresented in police use of force statistics. Is India meddling in Canadian democracy near London, Ontario? The death toll in Gaza exceeds 25,000, and at least 44 people have been buried in a landslide in southwest China. Good morning. It's Monday, January 22nd. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. We start this morning off in London, where an Amazon worker died on the job after a fire alarm. Employees were sent outside for about 20 minutes in windchill temperatures of minus 20 degrees Celsius. Four London Free Press journalists, Norman DeBono, Brian Williams, Jennifer Beeman, and Patrick Maloney, report that the company confirmed that the worker collapsed about an hour after returning to its large fulfillment center. Maureen Lynch Vogel with Amazon responded to the desk like this, quote, There's nothing more important than our employees' health and safety, which is why we ensured the site was evacuated quickly and provided warm weather kits to help keep employees warm and comfortable. The site was cleared for re-entry about 16 minutes after the alarm sounded, and employees were encouraged to warm up in the break room before returning to their workstations, unquote. Lynch Vogel denied that the death was related to work. The Ministry of Labor is investigating. The Free Press reporters spoke to one man who was stunned, a co-worker, who watched emergency crews trying to revive the man. He disputed the length of time that employees were out in the cold, saying that it was longer than 17 minutes. The source says that they sheltered in a vehicle but were ordered out of the car by a supervisor. Lynch Vogel denied that workers were forced out of their vehicles, adding that the company has video of several workers waiting in their cars to return to the workplace. She also told the reporters that employees were given so-called cold weather kits upon exiting, including blankets, hats, gloves, and socks. However, according to the workers, there were blankets doled out, but not enough for everyone. Lynch Vogel claims that once employees came back inside after the evacuation, several employees, including the person who later died, spent about 45 minutes in the break room warming up before returning to their workstations. Now, this isn't the first time Amazon has come under fire for safety and working conditions, of course. In 2023, the Free Press reminds us that a U.S. Labor Ministry investigation cited six warehouses for unsafe working conditions. And there's also information from the Center for Urban Economic Development at the University of Illinois, Chicago, which found that 41% of Amazon workers surveyed have been injured on the job. In 2022, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration in the United States opened a national investigation into ergonomic injuries and issued more than a dozen citations to Amazon. Luis Dominguez, who's an area director for Unifor, said this, quote, I've read reports about Amazon and they make car assembly lines look good. They're very demanding of their people, unquote. Of course, this factory is not unionized. Next to Ottawa, where a new report from the city's police services show that black and Middle Eastern residents were overrepresented in police use of force incidences in 2022. CTV's William Ellerington writes that the use of force report will be presented today at the Ottawa Police Services Board meeting. It finds that there was a decrease in the percentage of use of force against racialized people overall, but black and Middle Eastern residents remained overrepresented in the statistics. 
Ellerington writes that according to the report, black residents were represented in use of force incidences by 3.1 times their share of Ottawa's population. Middle Eastern people were also overrepresented at 1.7 times their share of the population, while Indigenous people were not overrepresented in 2022. To put this into perspective, black residents were involved in 25% of use of force incidents that year, despite only representing 8% of the Ottawa population. For Middle Eastern people, they were involved in 10% of force incidents, while making up just 6% of the population. And conversely, white people were involved in 58% of incidents and make up 68% of the population. Elderington quotes the report saying this, quote, the elimination of systemic racism and implicit bias is a priority for the OPS. In addition, the OPS is committed to improving the experiences of Black, Indigenous, racialized people and various equity-seeking groups in their encounters with OPS members and the criminal justice system more broadly, unquote. There were no suggestions for how this could be achieved in the article or in the report. With a focus on rising hatred in Canadian society, this is a good reminder that folks who are treated with the most violence by the Canadian state are the ones who are the most at risk of violent hatred. Black and Arab or Arab-looking individuals cannot trust the police as much as a white person, and that deeply skews hate crime statistics. Also, as someone pointed out to me online, these stats are from 2022, the year of the Ottawa trucker convoy, and still Black and Middle Eastern people are overrepresented. Next, Canada's spy agency is investigating possible links between the Indian state and a local Conservative nomination vote last year. Rumnik Johal at Press Progress reports that multiple Conservative sources have said they've heard rumours of an investigation by CSIS into the Conservatives' 2023 nomination vote in the riding of Oxford, which was won by Arpan Khanna. Oxford is located just outside London. Johal writes that Kenna is a well-connected former Jason Kenney staffer who served as Ontario co-chair of Pierre Polyever's leadership campaign. One unnamed source provides evidence that they were visited by CSIS agents who asked questions about the vote. The sources said that the agents' line of questions left them with the impression that CSIS believed that some quote-unquote monkey business had happened. They said that two plainclothes CSIS agents later visited their home and asked questions focused on Canna and specifically why the party establishment backed his nomination. Johal writes that Michael Wilson, the Conservative Party of Canada's legal counsel and a top field organizer for Polly Evers' 2022 leadership campaign, said to Press Progress in a letter that Canna and the Conservative Party deny any knowledge of a, quote, purported CSIS investigation or alleged irregularities during the 2023 Oxford nomination race, unquote. Wilson also said that, quote, Mr. Canna is a proud Canadian and his allegiances rest firmly and solely with Canada. Mr. Canada has previously worked for the government of Canada, holding a high-level security clearance, unquote. Johal explains that in previous roles as senior advisor to former multiculturalism minister Jason Kenney and as a conservative organizer, he had contacts with Indian government officials and diaspora communities across Canada. According to Canada's LinkedIn profile, he, quote, worked closely with Indian government officials, unquote, on Prime Minister Narendra Modi's 2015 state visit to Canada. Now, this isn't the first time there's been suspicion or accusations that India has interfered in elections, not to mention, of course, India interfering with the murder of Harjit Singh Najjar. Johal refers to the fact that in 2019, CBC News reported that CSIS had been approaching federal political parties to warn them of efforts by India and five other countries to interfere in Canadian elections, while more recent reporting has alleged Indian state actors interfered in an unnamed party's leadership race. 
Despite this, Johal points out that Canada's upcoming public inquiry into foreign interference is mandated to examine countries like China and Russia and other foreign states, but doesn't actually name India specifically. Maybe that's because there's more reluctance in Ottawa to directly criticize an ally like India, rather than countries like Russia or China. Next to Gaza, more than 25,000 people have now been confirmed killed in Israeli assault and in just three and a half months. Even while reporting the numbers, mainstream media is casting doubt on them by qualifying that data is from the, quote, Hamas-run health ministry, unquote. That's despite the fact that in previous years, previous wars, Israel and UN numbers matched up pretty closely with the health ministry's figures. And despite the likely figure being much higher when accounting for all those people who are trapped under rubble. According to the BBC, there have been 178 deaths in the last 24 hours, making it one of the deadliest days in the war so far. It doesn't seem like the ICJ case is deterring Israel very much. And as the fighting continues, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu again rejected creating a Palestinian state, contradicting the official White House position of backing a two-state solution. Not that the U.S. is using any of its economic and political leverage to pressure Israel here or anything. This came as Hamas described October 7th as a quote-unquote necessary step against the Israeli occupation and a way to secure the release of Palestinian prisoners. According to the BBC, Israel's air and ground operation is currently focused on southern Gaza, where the military are convinced top Hamas commanders are holed up in, or beneath the city of Khan Yunus. The south of Gaza is also where Israel has forced everyone to flee and has a refugee crisis. U.S. intelligence agencies reportedly estimate that the Israeli military has killed between 20 to 30 percent of Hamas fighters, which falls far short of Netanyahu's stated aim of, quote, completely destroying, unquote, the armed group. The BBC writes that the apparent slow process, the fact that no top Hamas commander has yet been captured or killed, and the collective anger over the 130 or so Israeli hostages who are still missing is prompting growing anti-government anger in Israel. And finally, the South China Morning Post is reporting that 18 households and 47 people have been buried in a landslide in Yunnan province. That news is coming from the Chinese state broadcaster. The landslide hit Monday morning in Liang Shui village in Chengxiang County in a mountainous area. China considers this a level three disaster out of four potential levels. More than 200 rescue personnel have been deployed. Those are your headlines for Monday, January 22nd. I'm Nora. Hope you have a wonderful day. It is Monday and I hope you're staring down a wonderful week of work or I know a horrible, crappy week of work. But, you know, every day the sun gets more and more bright or I guess longer. You're listening to this podcast at sandynora.com on the Real News Network podcast feed or anywhere you get your podcasts. This morning's podcast was made with help, production assistance from Mary Newman. I will talk to you tomorrow.